Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. When the world is facing a pandemic, we need to fight back, right? In some people's mind, the vaccine is helping us do just that. In other people's mind, vaccine and or mask mandates represent a blatant overreach by the government, employers, places of business, and so forth. Is it? Don't we have a right to harm ourselves? After all, our bodies, our choice. And just how should a church, an organization that insists that they worship a God of love, respond to the need to keep people safe from COVID-19. Here to help us wade through this social and political cauldron is Alan Reinick, Executive Director for the Church State Council for the Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Alan, welcome back to Life Press Liberty. I think this is going to be fun, Charles. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, here we go. This program is sponsored by Liberty Magazine. Okay, Alan, vaccine mandates and the church. Should a religious organization even get involved in this controversy, and if so, how? Well, quite a few churches have. Um, The Vatican has issued its commentary that there's nothing about the connection to fetal tissue that would make getting the vaccine morally problematic. Mm -hmm. The Seventh-day Adventist Church, my church, in consultation with its own health professionals, has come out strongly supportive of the vaccine. The biblical principle here is a very simple, universal one, love your neighbor. You asked at the outset about, don't we have the right to suffer harm to ourselves? Yes. Well, that may certainly be if we want to take on risk for ourselves, but in this case, the risk is not just to ourselves, it's to everybody around us. If we believe in the biblical obligation to love our neighbor, then where are our priorities here? That's what I want to know. Is it in how do we care for the larger community? How do we work together to beat this pandemic? Or is it I'm going to assert my rights, no matter what the cost to myself or to others? I like what you said there about, yes, we do have the right to harm ourselves, but we don't have a right to harm others. How do we get that across, Alan Reinick, to people who are protesting vaccine mandates or or mask mandates? I don't have to do this because, hey, it's my body. How do we get across to the world that there are other people in this world other than ourselves? How do we combat selfishness? Yeah, right. You have 15 minutes. Go ahead, start. (laughs) I got to start pointing out the irony of something you said at the outset, Uh you know, invoking the my body, my choice. So one of the common religious objections to the vaccines has to do with their connection to fetal tissue and, and the whole abortion issue. And the people who support abortion rights, who support the right of a woman to make that decision for herself, invoke the phrase, my body, my choice. Now we have those who oppose abortion invoking the same thing. And I've heard that from people who I've counseled with. So I think it's 
supremely ironic that now we all agree on my body, my choice. <laughs> we just disagree in the application of yes, it. Yes, yes. Well, if it is my body and it's my choice, can we broaden that to say our bodies, my choice? I mean, my choices are going to affect someone else's body as well. Maybe that phrase is outdated. Maybe we need to expand on it a little bit. What do you think? I think there are aspects of American culture that are incompatible with Christianity. Yes. I'll be kind about it. I do think it's heretical. So the problem with mask mandates is not that it is good policy for us to be protecting ourselves and to be protecting others by wearing masks. The problem is that the American character is such that if the government says you have to do this, many of us say, go ahead and try and make me. And so are mask mandates going to be effective to actually get people to wear masks? Or do we simply have to rely on better education, better information, so that people make better choices. And I don't know the answer to that, but I'm an observer of this social dynamic. In your observations, Alan, you have seen both sides of this. Does one make more sense than the other, or does one make no sense at all? How do you make a judgment for yourself, for Alan Reinick, based on the evidence that you see. But I do know that the reported evidence is that mask mandates, by and large, have been very effective. Mm-hmm. New York, for example, has obtained widespread compliance among city servants, fire police, etc., through the use of both vaccine and mask mandates. So I think that these kinds of mandates have been very effective in helping to keep people safe. When we want to be safe... We rely on others. In other words, we wear a seatbelt in our car, even though we might drive 500,000 miles and never need it. I think that the argument, well, you know, I don't need it, might not be the best argument because there may come a time when we do, and we will be very glad that we have that seatbelt on. Can we draw a parallel to the masks and to the, to the vaccine here? We may never need to wear a mask. We may never need to have the vaccine, but we may need it at one time. Can we argue that way? Look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to get out of my lawyer lane here. (laughs) But the evidence that I'm hearing is that our emergency rooms are overwhelmed with unvaccinated people. Mm -hmm. And I've had too many people close to me either die or get very sick. So to say maybe we need it, maybe we don't, I think is, you know, it's a bit of Russian roulette. One of my close friends and colleagues, he got it twice, and he didn't get vaccinated in between because he thought he had immunity from the first time. The second time killed him. And this is a guy who was a single father with a teenage son. There are so many tragedies. For us to kind of close our hearts to the tragedies around us, and just kind of insist on our rights here, I think is, is really immoral. What do you say, Alan, to a fellow church member who says, you know, God's going to take care of me. God is going to protect me. Look what he did for the Israelites. Look what he did in the desert. He said, none of these diseases will come upon you. 
What do you say when someone uses that argument to keep from doing whatever, whether it be diet to keep them from being obese, whether it be not smoking and not drinking, whatever it happens to be, or the vaccine, whatever it happens to be, how do you overcome that mindset that God loves me so much just the way I am, he's going to protect me just the way I am? Well, I've certainly heard that plenty from those who have religious objections to the vaccine. Our department, our office has been counseling literally dozens of people with these objections. We've spent a lot of time on this issue. And again, the answer in part calls for some medical expertise. We have so much scientific insight about what we can do to protect ourselves. Oh, I like that. You know, it seems to me that the vaccine is the miracle that people are waiting for. It is God saying, here's what you need to do so none of those diseases will come upon you. Taking what you just said, should that be the message that we're hearing from our pulpit? Should a pastor stand up in front of a congregation and say what you just said? Absolutely. You know, the secularists, the atheists say that religion and science are incompatible. Mm -hmm. Christians don't say that. We don't say religion and science are incompatible. We say that science is dealing with an orderly universe that is based on laws and systems that God created. And so there's no incompatibility. And the history of science is the history of Christian scholars, Christian scientists from a Christian worldview seeking to determine, to understand God's natural laws. Mm -hmm. So there's no conflict, and for Christians to say, no, I'm going to rely on faith and reject science, is incompatible with the faith. In the couple of minutes we have left here on the program, Alan, fill this in for me. We are facing this deluge of information coming from the Internet, coming from our, our radio speakers, from our television screens. How do we know what to believe? Where do we put our trust? Is there any way that we can set our minds correctly so that we will recognize truth when it hits us? There's a term going around now. It's the term Internet scholars or Mm -hmm. YouTube scholars. Mm -hmm. You know, that somehow we all think that we can figure it out for ourselves. I think a little bit of humility is in order here. And we're all seemingly willing to gather up the fragments of dissent because we have lost so much trust in the institutions and our society. That's the real tragedy here. I I really don't know the answer. There's so much distrust, and frankly, we're in a post-truth world where, you know, people just gather up things that they want to believe as facts, whether they have any actual factual basis or not. And I really don't know what the solution is for that. It would seem to me that when in doubt, go to your knees and just ask God to guide. How do you explain Christianity and spirituality to someone? You really can't, but you have to experience it. So all I can say is, you know, hey, look around you. Is it working? And the answer is no. The world as it is is not working. What's missing? What's missing to me, in my opinion, is a direct communication and love for the God who created us. I'm on the right track saying that? Of course. 
You know, I'm thinking about Jesus' warning in Matthew 24 that the last day deceptions that come in his own name Mm -hmm. will be so great as to deceive, if possible, the very elect. The reality is we become so skeptical that we reject what is sound. We reject actual facts. And so somehow we've gone from one ditch from being too gullible and too believing to being too skeptical. And we just kind of assume that the information from the status quo sources, from the government, from the mainstream media, that that's not trustworthy. We certainly should be looking at it intelligently, critically, you know, learning how to think critically for ourselves. But this wholesale distrust is not serving us well. All right. Very good. Alan Reinick, he is the executive director for the Church State Council for the Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Alan, thank you so much for sharing your heart today. I know it wasn't easy in some questions, but thank you so much. My pleasure, Charles. Anytime. Liberty Magazine is the sponsor of this program. Until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Alan Reinick, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at the same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. <music>